0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, The Sacred Life. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord.: Now, if you're just joining us, <clears throat> this is the ninth and final week in our sacred life sermon series. We've been looking at what makes us a sacred city. We are far more than just kind of a place to go to on a Sunday morning. We are a people who have been changed by God through the power of the gospel, who make disciples, plant churches, we talked about that last week, and renew the city. And interestingly enough, it's that last phrase that usually catches people off guard. Renew the city? Why would a church care about the city? Well, the short answer here is because God cares about the city. God loves the city. In fact, the Bible tells us that the story of God begins in a garden, but it ends in a city, a glorious city. The first two chapters of the Bible tell us about the Garden of Eden, and the last two chapters of the Bible tell us about the new city, the holy city where we will spend eternity with God, the new Jerusalem, it's called. Did you know that? Many people think we're going to, you know, we're leaving this earth and we're going to the clouds. When we die or when Christ comes back, that heaven is this ethereal place where we just kind of float around as spirit beings and we just, you know, ride rainbows and watch little fat angels shoot arrows at things, right? We just kind of hallmark our way through heaven. And that's not what heaven's going to be like. We're going to a city. Now that means that I'm going to show you just the narrative arc of scripture begins in a garden and ends in a city. Now that might turn some of you off. You love the country, right? You love trees and animals and fresh air. And when you think of the city, you think busyness, you think pollution, you think crowds and traffic and crime. Ill, right? Well, the new city, the holy city, in the new heavens, the new earth will be a completely renewed city. That means there's going to be no crime, there's no pollution, there's no injustice. And Jesus, in the Gospels, he teaches us to pray, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That means, as Christians, we should desire our cities to look as much like the heavenly city as humanly possible. But what I want to do this morning is I want to take a quick survey of the Bible to see why cities are such a big deal to God and why they should be a big deal to us. This is maybe something you've never thought about before, and uh, I want to uh, educate us just a little bit. Now, in the book of Genesis, the first couple chapters, when God creates Adam and God creates Eve and he creates this garden for them to enjoy, this is what he says to them. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, many people think, oh, that's, the, that's the, like the old farmer motto, right? God's telling them to, to be farmers. Well, that's, exact, that's not what he's saying at all. This is called the cultural mandate. And some, have, some theologians even call it the urban mandate when God says to man, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he's telling them to reproduce, right? Make lots of babies. Now that right there, if obeyed, here, listen, if you just obey that, make lots of babies, eventually that necessitates the building of a city. More people living in close proximity to each other kind of necessitates all kinds of public works, But then God goes on and he says this, subdue the earth and have dominion. This means that God wants mankind to take the raw materials that he's given us in creation and use it for our good and his glory. And this small command God is telling us here, listen, to invent computers, to create automobiles and to build cities. He's saying, take what I've given you And, you know, go to town, literally. Like, create sewage systems so you you can live in a a place and get rid of your stuff, right? That's a good thing to do, right? That tree over there only works for so big of a family, right? Once you get larger, then it becomes a problem, okay? We get this? Man, we are just quiet this morning. That's fine, all right. No more jokes, cut them out. Now, what is a city, right? What is a city? Well, we all, this is what we do these days. We go to Wikipedia. Here's what Wikipedia says. A city is a large and permanent human settlement. Well, that's pretty simple. Cities generally have a, com- a complex system of sanitation, utilities, land usage, housing, transportation, right? The concentration of development greatly facilitates interaction between people and businesses. So, to make a long story short, a city is where a lot of people live, right? People come together, they live in a city, they share resources with one another, they contribute to the needs with one another, they create roads and they create sanitation and they they create, you know, you know the economy is built and hey, listen, you take care of the animals and hey, I'll I'll be the blacksmith over here, right? Or I right? That's what cities do. They you have this division of labor and everybody kind of humans flourish in a city. These are some of the benefits of living in a city, but what are some other benefits? Let me name a few more. One, human diversity. There are a lot more people in the city than out in the country, right? And there are a lot more people in the city who are different from us culturally, Some of you go, exactly, that's why I live in the country. Well, hear me out. When we are living in a city with all kinds of different cultures around us, when we're working with different people from different cultures, and we're neighbors next to people uh, who are from a different culture than us, it gives us a much more diverse and beautiful picture of God and his world. God is not just the God of middle-class America. Our God is a God of the nations, the scripture says. And in the holy city in Revelation 21, it tells us that all cultures and nations of the world will bring their best into the city. This means that there will be Cuban food in the new heavens and new earth. And Mexican food and Thai food to the glory of God. The best the culture has to offer bringing into this new city. This new city is not going to be, you know, bland, middle class, burgers and fries only. Got all kind of cultural diversity. See, the city is more diverse in culture and that makes it more like heaven than the country. Now, hear me out. Most of us, this might be just blowing our minds because when we're out in the country and we're seeing rolling meadows and no people, we think this is heaven, right? Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa, (laughs) right? We have the shirt, but not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, the new heavens and the new earth is a new city where a lot of people dwell, a lot of different cultures dwell. Now, what else does this do? This helps us kind of free us from the cultural blinders that we have. If you grow up in a Hispanic culture, you have cultural blinders to your culture, that you see everything kind of through your cultural lens. If you grow up, you know, middle class, white America, that's your cultural lens. If you come from Thailand, that's your cultural lens. Well, when you live in a city that's diverse culturally, your lens gets expanded, And you go, oh, that's how they do that. Oh, that's how they think. When I say that, that's what they think about. Oh, or when they read the Bible and they hear this, this is what they think of. Oh, your your cultural experience expands in the city as you live and work with more people from different culture than you. Also, the city is a place where the best of the best create, Right? Where does the best music come from? Usually the city. Where are all the recording, You know, in the city. That's where it happens. Where does the best businesses set up shop? Right? Do they go out in the middle of a cornfield, set up shop? Absolutely not. They come into the city so they can collaborate. More people can hear about them. Best cities takes place in the city. Where are the best museums and art? And where do most of our technological advances come from. They come from the city. See, what am I saying? Most of our culture is created in the city. And what that means for us is that if you want to affect culture, see, we get kind of upset sometimes about the movies that are out and the music that are out and the culture that's being created. Well, if you want to cre- create culture or affect culture, the best place to do that is in the city. Now, you can move out to the woods, and you can critique culture, but if you want to affect culture and change culture, you've got to get in the city to do it. See, think of a stream. Think of everything flowing from a stream. Everything flows in our culture from a city. Things are created and changed and made happen in the city, and then it flows downstream to our culture. So if you want to change what's happening in our culture, you've got to get in the city. You've got to get upstream to do that. Tim Keller gives us another reason. To love our cities. And another reason God loves our cities. He says this. Cities have more of the image of God. Per square inch. Than any other place on earth. See people are made. Imago Dei. They're made in the image of God. And therefore. The more people are in a place. The more of the image of God. Is in that place. When you see a person. You're seeing a reflection of God to you. The closest thing. To God. To God. That you see on this planet, not the trees, not the animals, not the wind, not the sun, another person made in his image. God loves the city, and so should we. So should you. But I know I've only given half the story. Even right now, you've got the list, but, 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 in your head. The city isn't just diverse and creative. The city is also dark and destructive. Why is that? Well, here we go in this narrative arc. Genesis 3, sin enters the story. And once sin enters the story and enters the human heart and the culture and creation, cities begin to get a bad rap. We see this story of the Tower of Babel, right? And the Tower of Babel, this later will become the city of Babylon, right? This Tower of Babel, people come together, and what is their goal for the city? What is their goal for this tower? We will build a name for ourselves. That is pride. That is, we have a goal now not to build good things and create good culture for the glory of God and the good of all mankind. Now we want to create a name for ourselves. We want to build a tower that reaches to the heaven. We want to put our name on it. I really want to dwell on that. But I'm just going to let that political comment pass me by. Actually, I'm not. So my wife and I took this architectural tour of Chicago. And you're on the boat this boat ride through the river and they're showing you all this kind of architecture and and this is mid-century and this is mid-century modern and this is postmodern and this and they're going on and they get to uh, the Trump Tower in Chicago. And it's, it's got different levels like this. And they're like, see those levels? And we're like, yeah. Um, every important building in the city, Donald uh, put a little notch in his tower to say, so here's this important building? Yep, mine's higher. Here's this important building that you all love? Yep, mine's higher. Here's this important building that you all love? Yep, mine's higher. Trump right? Makes a tower. I mean, just literally the architecture of the building to say, every other building is beneath me. Every other important building is beneath me. This is similar to what's going on at the tower of Babel in the city. They're not building commerce for the glory of God and the good of others. They're doing it for their own pride. Let me, let us make a name for ourselves. And what does God do? God confuses their language and disperses them and makes the work impossible, because God knows human beings are capable of doing you know phenomenal things, and so he, he disrupts their plans to do that, and out and they, they spread all over, and this city of Babel becomes Babylon, which is later we're going to read in a little bit going to become kind of the, chief, the, the the main nemesis of god 's people. And then later on in the story of Genesis, we see the city called Sodom and Gomorrah right? We know this is where we get this term sodomy from. We know there's this all kind of perverseness going on in this city. It's a city that's incredibly broken. It says of Lot that, it, that the city itself uh, like, just ripped apart his soul. He, was, he had this righteous soul. It says he lived in anguish as he lived in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see just brutal attacks taking place there. A lot of injustice taking advantage of the poor. It's a terrible, morally corrupt, unjust, wicked city that God does what to? Obliterates it off the planet. God just rains down fire and brimstone and just wipes it off the earth. See, because of the brokenness that sin has caused in the human race, cities are also a place where there is more sin. There is more violence and pain than any other place in the planet. I'm going to have to push pause. Joel, I need you to go turn the air on because I can tell it's not on. Thank you. Now, listen. This has led, because of the sin and because of all the stuff that's, you know, that goes on in the city, this has led many people to think that cities are bad. And that cities, therefore, because there's more sin and there's more violence and there's more injustice there, that they should be avoided. They should be feared. I know you kind of have to work in the city. So go to work in the city and then move out somewhere where they've got good schools Move out somewhere where you can live in the, na- and you, you know, you can leave your doors unlocked at night and you can leave the bike laying in the front yard and it's not going to be jacked off your front porch, right? Work in the city because it's a necessity, but then live somewhere else. But if you keep reading in the Bible, you learn that God still loves cities, and his answer to these broken cities of Babylon and Sodom and Gomorrah, his answer to the broken cities of the world was his own city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem becomes a city that is called the dwelling place for God's name, that God's name is going to dwell in the city. First Kings 14.21 says this, it's a city that's meant to be just and holy. We're going to read all about this even uh, in our Exodus series because uh, Moses spends a lot of time and God gives all these commands to Moses about how to run the, the nation of Israel, right? And how to make it just and make, it, uh, make sure it takes care of the poor and the sojourner. What is a sojourner? That's the immigrant. They're to be cared for in the city. The widow and the orphan are to be provided for in the city. The environment is to be protected in the city. God says to the farmers, you can plant for six years. On the seventh year, let it lie dormant. He doesn't want this perpetual taking of the land. He wants there to be a season of rest and rejuvenation, a Sabbath for the land itself. The city of Jerusalem was also supposed to create good culture so much so that God fills them. And I can't wait to preach the sermon in Exodus. He fills people with the Spirit in Exodus to create good culture. He says it, he, the spirit comes upon them to make them woodworkers and culture creators. It's fascinating. And so people become they become artisans through the power of the spirit to create good culture. I can't wait to preach that sermon. Why? Because God wants this city, this new holy city, this Jerusalem city To be a city that displays to the world the beauty, the holiness, and the graciousness of God. The city is also the place where the sacrifices take place. The temple is there, right? You go to this city to meet God. Think about that. City used to be a place where you go to meet God. From the time of David onward now, the prophets speak of God's future as an urban one. From this point on in scripture, the main conflict of the whole Bible is actually between cities. St. Augustine calls it the city of God and the city of man. This is what Augustine says. He says, the city of God is the society of holy men and good angels. But the city of man is the society of wicked men and evil angels. The one city began with the love of God. The other had its beginning, the love of self. And you can actually trace this all the way through the Bible that the city of God, those who are, those men men and women of faith, and then the city of man, those men and women who are of not faith or outside the faith, and you see this conflict from the very beginning. Actually, you see it right away with Adam and Eve's children, right? You see it with Cain and Abel, this conflict with this seed or conflict with these two cities, and you trace this all the way through the Bible, and what happens eventually is Jerusalem, who's meant to be the city of God, the city that shows the world what God is like, this just and holy and gracious city that takes care of the poor and the immigrant and the orphan and the widow. They fail miserably and they turn from the worship of God and they turn and they, they let the world affect them and they fail at their job. They're not Holy. They disobey God and refuse to love him above all others. And they become just another unjust city where the rich and powerful take advantage of the poor and weak. So you know what happens? God lets the city of man take over the city of God. Now this is fascinating. Babylon, the scariest, most dominant empire the world had ever seen at this moment. Pagan, worshiped all kinds of different gods, highly sexualized, no morality. They're, Jerusalem is living around these people. Jerusalem fails to do what God's called them to do, and God turns them over to Babylon. And Babylon invades Jerusalem, destroys the temple raises the whole city to the ground, burns the temple. I mean, just destroys everything, takes all of the gold, takes all the incense burners and the holders and all the beauty that this, all the culture that they, they created. Babylon takes it all. And then they kill many of them. And then the, the remnant, they take off and they carry off into Babylon. And this is what, this is how Babylon dominated cultures. This is how they grew, right? This is how they expanded their empire. They would move in they would take over a city, they would grab all the women, children, men, they would bring them off into captivity, they'd bring them into this unjust, or this, this highly sexualized culture, and they would just kind of absorb them. And once these people, you know, they're, they got pulled out of their culture, and they got pulled into this diverse culture, they would just kind of lose their culture and become part of Babylon. They would lose their distinctiveness, and they would just kind of absorb into this giant empire. Of Babylon. So I want you to think about this now from a Jewish perspective, if we can. The wicked city, the city of man, plunders the sacred city and carries her people off into exile. I want you to think about this. You are living, just think of yourself as a Jewish person at this time, if you can. You are living in the chosen city of God, the city that God chooses to place his name. The temple is in your city where the only place on the planet to meet with God is in the Holy of Holies, right? Where the Ten Commandments are, right? All this, that's where you meet with God. And this now is destroyed and carried off. As a Jew, to you belong the words of God, the commandments of God, the favor of God, the grace of God, and now you are completely ransacked by another ungodly, pagan nation who destroys your city and carries you and your family off to another nation that serves other gods. What do you do? How do you stay holy? How do you stay, let me just use our language now, Christian, how do you remain faithful to God, even in a pagan nation or city? What do you think God would want you to do? You got pulled off into this ungodly city. What would God say to you? Well, listen, we don't have to guess. Prophet Jeremiah tells us very specifically what God says to his own people who are now in exile in Babylonian captivity. Let's read it. Put it on the screen if we can. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. First off, let me pause. <laughs> I think the first thing that most of us would, be, would do would be to kind of create a, our own little enclave. Like huddle up, get all the Jews together, put them all in one neighborhood if we can, and just hide there and preserve your culture, right? I I think that's probably what I would think about doing. Just hide out, keep your head down, stay away from that pagan city as much as possible. Don't let it affect you. But look what God says to them. Verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, From the city of God to the city of man. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Look, multiply there. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now, if, I'm, if I just got ransacked and captured by a, a pagan nation, I'm thinking I'm going to hide out until God goes Sodom and Gomorrah on them. I'm a out, And then God's going to send the armies in and he's going to overrun this nation. He's going to take them out. And so let's just stay holy and let's just stay hidden and let's just stay underground until God wipes them off the planet or rescues us out of them. But that's not what God says. God says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on the city's behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, isn't that shocking? How are God's people supposed to live in Babylon? They're to build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. That means they're to put roots down in the city. They're meant to stay there for a while. In fact, they stay there for 70 years. I just read in Ezra this morning in my uh, Bible reading plan that 70 years later, when God calls them out of Babylon and brings them back to Jerusalem, 40,000 of them come out, 40,000. So 40,000 people keep their cultural heritage, keep their, let's just say, holiness, their devotion to the Lord, their separateness, their sacred cityness, while in Babylon for 70 years. And these are the instructions they were given, build houses, plant gardens, make babies, Pray to the Lord on the behalf of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. They're to take wives and have kids. That means they're still, just like in Genesis, to be fruitful and multiply, even in the city. Now, statistically, the closer to city city you get, the less kids you have, because the city is busy and whatever. We are to be fruitful and multiply in the city. They're meant to stay there for a while. They're meant to put down roots there in the city. Now listen to this. They're to be fruitful and multiply in the city. You know what this means? They are meant to grow into, listen, a small city within the city. They are meant to be a holy city or a sacred city in the midst of this pagan city. God goes on, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God doesn't say, as soon as you can, get a nice little spot outside of town. As soon as you can, get out. He says, love the city pray for the city serve the city in the city's welfare will be your welfare this reminds me of Matthew 5:14 where Jesus tells his disciples you are the light of the world a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden see Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are a city within the city. Disciples of Jesus are to be a light that shines in the darkness of the city. What happens to a city when all the Christians leave it? What happens to a city when all the light goes out of the city? Darkness rules, darkness reigns, things get worse. If we want our culture to change, we've got to, our cities have to change. If we want our cities to change, we have to live in the city. We have to move into the city. We have to work into the city. We have to love the city. We have to serve the city. We have to pray for the city. We are to be a city within the city. A sacred city. On mission to make disciples, plant churches, renew the cities, for the glory of God. Now, we saw this last week. Paul, pa- the word pagan in the, d- in the day and age of Paul meant country dweller. Right? It meant, that's what it meant. Country bumpkin. That's what it meant. Pagan, right? It meant someone who wasn't in the city. And it took almost 250 years for the gospel to get to the country. For the first 250 years, we saw... That Paul, he went from major city to major city to major city. Then he went to some minor cities. and minor... He went from city to city to city to spread the gospel. Why? Because there's more image of God per square inch. Because God loves the city. Because if you want to change a nation, you have to change the city. God loves the city. We, therefore, should love the city and live in the city and minister in the city. In the city. Now, what does that mean for us? Let me put it this way to, to serve the city and renew the city, like we talk about, it means that we are to have a faithful, redemptive presence in our cities. All right? This is, listen to this. This is the key words here faithful, redemptive presence in our city. What I don't want to do is give anybody the notion that we somehow can do the work of God and completely renew our city. We can't do that. Only God can renew the human heart. Only God can do this work. We cannot either do some kind of work in the city and then spark the kingdom of God to come. Okay. Liberalism kind of taught this and thought this, The last 50 years in mainline denominations, let's just stop preaching the gospel. Let's start doing good things and let's just start serving our neighbor and we'll kind of bring the kingdom of God on this earth and we'll all hold hands and sing kumbaya. And that is not reality. Only the gospel reconciles the human heart. Only the gospel through the power of Jesus Christ can save human beings. And only the gospel can ultimately renew the city. So what do we do? We have a faithful redemptive presence in the city. Now, I want to read this quote to you. It's by a minister named John Stott, as I'm closing. The process of urbanization. So this is, let me just say this right now. Um, by, when Jesus was walking the earth, about 3% of human population lived in the cities. Right now, it's about 80%, or it's, oh, it's moving towards 80%. Okay, it's moving towards 80%. I think we're over, I can't remember the exact percentage right now, but that means the majority of human beings are, are living in the city, and it's the first time that we know of in human history where there are more people living in the city than there are out in the country. Okay? and This is just the process is called urbanization. Everybody's moving to the city. Okay? Listen, he says this, the process of urbanization constitutes a great challenge to the Christian church. On the one hand, there is an urgent need, listen, for Christian planners and architects, local government politicians, urban specialists, developers, and community social workers who will work for justice, peace, freedom, and beauty in the city. More than just salvation of souls. Do you hear that? Working for justice, peace, freedom, and beauty in the city. These are Old Testament principles of the city of Jerusalem. God wants our city to be just and beautiful and peaceful, okay? He doesn't just want a bunch of people saved. It's not just about going door to door and knocking on people's door. Have you said the sinner's prayer yet? Come to know Jesus and our city will be renewed. It's about rehabilitation of property, Okay? It's about better planning of our government. It's about honest, just people as politicians. Could there be a such a thing? There could. May, keep, may continue. On the other hand, Christians need to move into the cities and experience the pains and pressures of living there in order to win city dwellers for Christ. So it's not just about renewing the city systematically or systemically systems of injustice and and doing it. It's not just about that. It's also about meeting city dwellers, meeting neighbors and renewing them and seeing God change their heart for Christ. Let me keep reading. In order to win city dwellers for Christ, commuter Christianity, that means living in suburbia and commuting to an urban church is no substitute, listen to this word he uses, for incarnational involvement. What he's saying is, when Jesus came to save us, he came incarnationally. Incarnation means he put on flesh. Jesus, who is one with God, right? Second member of the Trinity. He's a spirit. That's what he is. He put on flesh as the son of God. And I love in John one, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us in Eugene Peterson's, the message uh, kind of translation or whatever. He says this, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. How did Jesus save us? He moved into our neighborhood. And what is our neighborhood, right? Right. Broken. Listen, he moved into a neighborhood so rough it got him killed. So rough it got him crucified, and that was a legal proceeding. It was legal. He moved into a city so unjust that they could illegal or they could legally pin him to a cross and crucify him there. That's what kind of neighborhood Jesus moved into. And so that movement of the gospel, that movement of God that shows God leaves comfort and he comes to the city to die for us and to live for us and to show us what God is like, that movement should be the movement of many Christians. I'm not saying all Christians. I'm not gonna say living in suburbia is a sin. I'm not gonna say living in the country is a sin. I'm not saying any of that. But that movement, that missional movement of the gospel that Jesus shows us leaving comfort and entering into brokenness Neighborhoods, that should affect many Christians, probably you. Probably you. We work in the city. We play in the city. We recreate in the city. We eat in the city. We use the city. Do we love the city? Do we serve the city? Do we pray for the city? Are we renewing the city? Well, at Sacred City, we want everyone to know we're not just about making disciples and planting our churches and creating these little Christian enclaves, these little Christian suburbias, these little outposts of the kingdom where we can all get together and go, "Oh, thank God, there's no sinners here." None of them pagans are here. Whoo! Finally, be myself. No, we're about plant. We're about making disciples planting the churches and renewing the city. We want our city to miss us if we weren't here. We want our city to call us when they need work done, when they need restoration or redemption, or they need help. We want them to call us. And I'm gonna let you know, it's starting to happen in our city right now. It's starting to happen. One of the organizations that we work with, the 180 zone, or 180 it's called now, that we partner with, a couple of our missional communities partner with, we partner with, they've been doing they've been adopting schools and they've been feeding the kids that are that are poor and they don't have enough food to eat, which is like eighty percent of their the, the people in this school, I think it's Monroe Elementary, and they're, they're feeding them breakfast, they feed them on Saturdays, they're taking care of them, they're doing all kind of great work. The city of Davenport has asked 180, completely Christian organization, to have one of their, to have their, their program in every single school in the city of Davenport. Now across our country, they're kicking out Christians of schools. School, Christ, churches that are meeting in churches, they say, you can't gather here anymore. FCAs, you can't be here anymore. They're doing all kinds of things like this, but our city is asking Christians to come in. Why? Because these are Christians who care about the city, and they're serving the city, and they're loving the city, and now they're getting a voice at the table, right? And we're partnering with them. And listen, I'm just going to let you know right now, Um, and listen, I want you to pray about this. If If you've been giving online, you've probably already seen, there's a new little tab on our giving page. The city of Davenport has reached out to 180, who's reached out to us. Um, The the post office used to provide $35,000 for back-to-school supplies for impoverished kids. The post office has now stepped back, and they said they can't do that this year. That leaves a $35,000 gap for impoverished kids to get their school supplies. We want to meet that need for them. We want to do that right here at Sacred City. $35,000. I want to see it happen. and, And that means over the next, I think it's August. I can't remember, the middle of August. I'll be gone at the time. They're going to update you. So what do I want you to do? I want us as a church to come together and sacrifice for the good and the welfare of our city. We want to provide these backpacks and these school supplies for these kids. Why does the government have to do it? Because the church stopped doing it. We want to seek the welfare of our city. The city's broken. We know what's wrong with it. We can fix it. We love it. We want to fix it. Help, let us help, uh, help the city. That's what we want to do. And so on our, you go e-giving on our website. There's a link there that says, the one, it says 180. I want you to click on that. I want you to give towards that over and above your tithe. The guys in the next four weeks are going to be talking about it. Rusty, the, the, the leader of the organization, he's going to come here. He's going to talk about it. We want to bless the city. The 180 just bought a building downtown where they're rehabbing uh, people. They're, they're, they're doing all kind of rehab work, men and women who have addiction problems. They're helping them out. They bought the building that we actually looked at a, a, a year or so ago. We almost bought it. We passed on it instead. They picked it up. And they're going to do a $1.5 million renovation in that so they can be in the city for the city, helping people. We want to partner with them. We want to help them renew that. This is one way Sacred City works to renew the city. Now listen, here's the thing. Every one of our missional communities does this, partners with some nonprofit. If you ask any millennial today, they're going to tell you they're all about, you know, caring for the poor, and they're all about equality, and they're all about helping serve the city, and they want to see a better city, and you ask them, okay, what did you do this month? Well, I reposted something on Facebook about it. I don't want to be people who talk about it. I want to be people who are about it, and we actually do something about it. So why, that's why every missional community, if you want to be a member of Sacred City, you have to be in a missional community, and every missional community chooses a people and a place in our city to love and serve at least on a monthly basis. Because everybody has good intentions, Right? Everybody has good intentions. I want to give, I want to serve, I want to volunteer, I want to be a generous person, but then when we get into our schedules, our kids run our schedules, our life, our needs, our wants, our desires run our schedules, and we never have time to volunteer, we never have time to serve. Well, to be a Christian is to have, to have a different king, and it has a different agenda, and that means you have a different schedule. If you compare, if you're a Christian, and you compare your schedule with your unbelieving neighbor's schedule, there better be a huge difference there. You better see Community is way more important to me I spend a lot more time with people of my church My money looks different Than my neighbor I I give a lot more to the church I'm a lot more generous to my neighbors and people that are in need I'm on mission I spend a lot of time serving our city This is what it means Gospel community mission That's what it means for us as a sacred city We're on mission Seeking to renew our cities Now what else How else Do we seek to restore the city here? This is more than just Sunday. We've already talked a little bit about this. Your work. Your work is meant to be a way of restoring... The city, bringing justice, bringing renewal, bringing restoration to the city. Now, it's easy to think, I can th- use terms of like, you know, if you're a contractor and you pick up this old dilapidated house and you renew it and you restore it and you don't just do everything halfway to make a buck out of it, but you actually make it beautiful to serve the needs of the city and to serve the needs of the neighborhood. One of the worst things for a neighborhood is to have a house with broken windows. It's called the broken windows theory. Once there's one house with broken windows, kids start throwing rocks, break all the other ones out, and then it just becomes, then the neighbor says, I'm tired of this house, I'm going to move out of the neighborhood, I'm going to move out to suburbia, then this house, and on and on and on, it kind of, it can, can potentially go. So contractor renews the city by renewing homes, right? Fascinating. I also read a story of a of a man who worked at a car dealership. He actually owned a car dealership. He became a Christian. He learned the movement of the gospel that God was for the poor and powerless. That it was meant to be. A, he was meant to create a system of justice that didn't take advantage of orphan and widows, but meant to serve them. And when he did a survey uh, of his company, he realized that white middle class men got the best deals on their cars. And minority women who are single, usually single mothers, got the worst deal on their vehicles. I don't know why specifically, could just be negotiation, could be, you know, I don't really know specifically why it happens. And he says, you know what, this is an unjust system I've created here. These guys know how to negotiate. They've checked all the other prices. They're going to drive a hard bargain. And so they get a good deal and, and they're wealthy. They really don't need a good deal. And this person just accepts the sticker price on the car sometimes and is getting the worst deal. This is a system of injustice. So what does he do? He completely re- re-evaluates his business. He creates a new business plan and he's got a one price all the way across. No negotiation, No fee- none of those things like that. So everybody gets the same deal. This is a man who was changed by the gospel and he actually changed his business to be more just. All of us are meant to think through this, where we work, how we work in the city. Are we creating opportunities for the less fortunate? Are we serving the poor? Are we loving our neighbors? Are we loving our city? Secondly, we play and we rest in our city, right? Right? We, we love our city, so go and recreate in our city. Go have a gym in the city. Develop relationships in the city. This is what the city is, one of the reasons the city is there for. Live in the city, recreate in the city in a redemptive, in a redemptive way. What else are we called to do? We're called to live in the city. How do you change a neighborhood? You be a good neighbor. Good neighbors create good neighborhoods. What would it look like if three or four families from your missional community actually moved into the same broken neighborhood? One block. What would it look like for it to have three families in your missional community on one block? I think that would be awesome. That, that's a, to have that redemptive presence there where your kids are playing together, you got to run to the store, you, the, this, they can watch your kids, you can watch their kids, you're going on walks together, you're having backyard barbecues together, you're praying for your neighborhood together, you're trying to serve your city together, then you're meeting together on a Wednesday night, so you meet your neighbor go, yeah, we just go to his house right there on Wednesday night, we gather for a missional community, we want to love our city, serve the city, and we talk about God, right? What would it look like? What would it feel like? Now, this is our problem. I think we have a problem with this. We don't think in terms of this. When you're buying a house, do you think about how close will I be to my friends and my church family? Do you think about that? You should think about that. We want to live in community. We want to be on mission. It's easier the closer you are together. It's easier to do. I've already talked about how we restore the city through our non is the last thing I want to say. We want to restore our city through the arts. So part of this would, could be your job if you're in design or graphic design or, or whatever. We want to renew our city. We want to create better art. We want to create better culture in the city, better music. We want to create that in the city. That's where it happens in the city. These are ways that we seek to renew our city. It's not just on Sunday morning things, not just praying about it. It's living in our city, loving our city, praying for our city, and living in the city in a different, distinct, redemptive way. Having a faithful, redemptive presence in our city. Now, I don't know what this means for you specifically, but I hope you listen to it. I hope this does not sound to you like the missionary sermon that somebody gets up and says, people are called to go to Kenya. People are called to go here. And you think in your head, man, I hope there are some people that are called to do that. Because I think this is the calling of the Christian. It's not a calling to comfort and to hide away from the city. You come to the city to go to Walmart, to take from the city, it's resources What about serving the city, living in the city? And also I want you to hear, I'm not just saying the bigger the city, the better, okay? Right, I don't care if it's Walcott. I don't care if it's LeClaire. Where are you? Where do you live? Right, where do you live? Where do you work? Where are you? I think we're to put down roots in the city and love the city and serve the city and work to renew the city and pray that God would bless the city. Because in blessing the city, he's blessing us. He's blessing the future. He's blessing our kids. So this is what it means for sacred city to make disciples, to plant churches and to renew the city. That's what it is. So I pray that the Lord would use us towards these ends. And let me pray. Jesus, I'm blown away by the movement of the gospel and how you left literally the best neighborhood the world has to offer. Crime free, sin free, full of comfort and joy and pleasure. You left that neighborhood and you moved into our neighborhood, a neighborhood of darkness a neighborhood of injustice, a neighborhood of violence and sin and pain. And you did it because you love us. And we would not be saved from our sin if you didn't change neighborhoods. And I pray that that reality would move our hearts that we would be better neighbors. We would think differently about our city. We would pray for our city and love our city and seek to serve our city like you did for us. We don't have any foolish notions that we can do this on our own or that we can spark revival and and create some kind of holy city here. We know we can't do that. We're waiting for you, Jesus, to do that but I pray that we can bring about human flourishing here, that we can help our broken neighbors, we can help broken families, we can reach out to the widow and the orphan, we can love those who are addicted, that those that are lost, those who are sitting in darkness will see a great light. Our city set on a hill, a sacred city sent to live in our city, to show the world what you're like. I pray that you would use us for that purpose. And now as we come to the Lord's table, Father, I pray that we would be brought to repentance for the ways that we let our comfort dictate where we live. We let our comfort dictate How we work and how we recreate, and who are our neighbors, and how we serve our city. We let our comfort dictate our schedules and not your kingdom. And we take this bread because we need it. Nothing but your broken body can justify us before the throne of God. We are just as wicked as Jerusalem was when they were carried off by Babylon. We deserve that kind of wrath but your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. And we eat it in faith, trusting that the work you began in us, you'll finish. And the work you began in our city, you will finish. Father, we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.